Coming up, Mahmoud Abbas is upset that the Arab world is not giving him more support. Bill de Blasio says that the recent crime surge in New York is due to the coronavirus. It has nothing to do with shrinking the police department. No, it's the coronavirus that's leading to this massive, massive crime surge. A caller says that when I said that the Washington Redskins wanted to change their name because their name is offensive, he assumed that I meant they wanted to change the word Washington because that's an offensive name. They, George Washington was a slave owner. He didn't think I meant the word Redskins. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's a sad day. You, you, they have to change both parts. They have to change Washington and Redskins. Nobody's going to know where, where, what city they're in. It's a very sad day if I tell you, listen, there's a sports team, the Washington Redskins. They need to change their name because it's offensive. And you literally wouldn't know if I'm talking about the word Washington or the word Redskins. By the way, Washington was also the first president of the United States, but he's still very offensive. By the way, President Trump tweeted about this, about these teams changing their names. He said something very interesting. He says it's actually a compliment to the Indians to be named for a sports team to be named after them. The tweet Trump put out. Quote, that they named teams out of strength, not weakness. The Washington Redskins and Cleveland Indians, two fabled sports franchises, look like they're going to change their names to be politically correct. So Trump says Indians like Elizabeth Warren must be very angry right now. I mean, the man has a way with words, whether you agree or disagree with him. But he's saying, and by the way, a caller left me a voicemail last night, and she made the exact same point. I said, listen, maybe it's offensive to call it the Cleveland Indians. And the caller said... They're not naming these teams the Cleveland Weaklings, the Washington Weaklings. It's a compliment when you name a team after a certain group of people. All right, so CNN now is abolishing racist terms such as master bedroom. Yes, we told you about this yesterday, and CNN is literally abolishing. They're not going to use, they're not abolishing it from the language, although they could, they, if they could, they would. They're, but they're on their, in their news reporting, they're not going to use the term master bedroom. Not sure how often that term comes up on CNN to begin with. They're not going to use the term the master's golf tournament. There's a there's a golf tournament known as the master's golf tournament. Uh, I know as much about golf as I know about like the Himalayan mountains, so I but that, that, that there is such a such a tournament, and uh, there's a term whitelist and blacklist. So CNN is now abolishing all of these phrases. Now CNN admits that the term master bedroom nobody can find the term master bedroom being used before the year 1926. So CNN, this is literally decades after slavery was abolished. They started using the term master bedroom, but CNN decided that it's offensive. They say even though it, this literally a quote from CNN, even though it's unclear whether the term is rooted in American slavery. It evokes that history. So people now it's racist, even if it's not racist, because CNN decided that people think who on the planet when they hear the term master bedroom thinks, oh, wow, racist. Oh, slaves. It's 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 connoting slaves and masters in a million years. It never even would have dawned on me. And by the way, even when I heard that somebody thought master bedroom is an offensive term, I couldn't figure out why until I read it in an article. And same thing with the golf tournament. The master's golf tournament originated in 1934, that title. And uh, the. The CNN says it doesn't matter. But yes, it's a reference. Masters is a reference to golfers who have great skills. But they say it still has negative offensive connotations. Whitelist and blacklist, that's a term you use like for websites. Like if you want to whitelist a website, it means you want it to come through your spam screen, scram, your spam folder, not get put in your spam folder, but get put in your regular email inbox. If you blacklist it, then you want it. So that's offensive. I mean, whitelist and, and, and blacklist. This is just madness. All right, so Bill de, Bill de Blasio. He says, this is a direct quote, he says, there is one cause for something like this, referencing the crime surge in New York. 
This is directly related to coronavirus. This is a very uh, serious situation, and uh, we're getting into warmer weather. We're feeling the effects of people being cooped up for months. The economy has not restarted. We have a real problem here. And, quote, I would just say this to Bill de Blasio. If he's right, then doesn't that mean you should be reopening reopening the economy in New York City much faster than you are? If you're telling me it's actually leading to this rampant surge in crime, and actually it becomes now a matter of life and death to keep the economy closed. Meanwhile, the coronavirus numbers are plunging in New York City. Then even if he's right, which he's totally wrong, he should be uh, reopening the economy. But according to de Blasio, it has nothing to do with defunding the police. It has nothing to do with abolishing the anti-crime division in the New York City has been abolished by Bill de Blasio. And they were the ones, by the way, who got guns off the streets. And now you have sh- these shootings taking place like never before the bloodiest June in New York City history. But that's just coincidence. It's because of the coronavirus. Nothing to do with the Black Lives Matter, the re- renaming streets Black Lives Matter streets and uh, painting Black Lives Matter in front of uh, Trump Tower. Nothing to do with releasing half of Rikers Island, by the way, the city's most dangerous criminals, and they are just putting them on the street because there's a court backlog, and they claim they're worried about the coronavirus, even though they've wanted to release these prisoners for years. Nothing to do with uh, the new restri- restrictions on cops. They don't, they're not allowed to restrain criminals. They're worried that they're going to be suspended. Nothing to do with the bail reform law. Nothing to do with any of that. The coronavirus has been around, by the way, since March. The lo- lockdown started in late March, yet the crime surge happened just a few weeks ago, coinciding with the George Floyd protest. Now, isn't that a strange coincidence? Michael Cohn has been spotted at two, not one, but at two New York City restaurants. Michael Cohn, yes, who's supposed to be serving out another several years, another two years of his prison sentence. What happened to house arrest? He's supposed to be in Otisville right now, but he got released because of the coronavirus. Oh, so going to a New York City restaurant, I'm sure that's very safe. So he's supposed to be wearing an ankle bracelet that's supposed to track his movements. They're saying maybe, maybe he'll he'll end up back in jail because he violated his house arrest. I'd be shocked if he ends up, wait a second, He's he gave the DOJ dirt on President Trump. He stabbed President Trump in the back so he could like shoot somebody now and they'd let him walk. All right, but in the name of the coronavirus, of course, President Trump will likely try, by the way, I haven't heard about Paul Manafort being released due to the coronavirus. President Trump will like, and, and uh, Roger Stone is headed to jail. Uh, Pre- President Trump will likely try to rescind DACA again. They're saying it could happen as early as this week, which is, we predicted this would happen quickly. Actually, he wanted to do this a few days ago, but he got delayed somehow. And they're saying that now President Trump is going to do it the right way because, of course, the Supreme Court decided he's not allowed to rescind an illegal executive order from Obama because he didn't he didn't have a good enough reason. He needs a good reason. So now President Trump is going to have a really good reason. Oh, well, it's illegal. That's not a good enough reason. You need a better reason. I, I, I'm not exaggerating one iota. The, the, the court said that the fact that it's illegal is not a good enough basis for Trump to rescind it. In fact, he's legally obligated to uphold an illegal law because it came from Obama. All right. uh, Meanwhile, Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican senator from Iowa, he actually put out a tweet today. He says, John Durham, do not, whatever you do, do not wait until after November and until after the election to release your findings and to issue your indictments. I'm paraphrasing, but this is exactly what we've been terrified of, that John Durham is going to keep on stalling. Why this is taking so long is beyond me, but Republicans, they always had to, they need, it's due process. Whenever we do things, we need to give fair due process. The, the, the Democrats impeached Trump in a matter of weeks. They impeached a president 
several weeks after they got the report from the whistleblower. And yet these it's, it's just painful to wait, sit here and wait for John Durham. So Grassley put out a tweet saying, quote, if no prosecutions till after elections, sad, sad, the deep state is so deep, people get away with political crimes. Durham should be producing some fruit of his labor, end quote. And there have been people who are saying, well, the Durham thing, that's going to be an October surprise. I'm fine with an October surprise. There's actually, there are some Republicans, they have like a guilty conscience. It's like, oh, I hope Durham doesn't wait until October because then it's going to look like this was all political. It's going to look like he's trying to sabotage Biden. It's in October. Of course you should. There's a reason they do October surprises because they work wonders when you have a major election coming up. And this is quite a big pivotal election coming up in November. So I would like nothing more than to see James Comey, maybe, I don't know who else, McCabe, how about Susan Rice being led away in handcuffs on like October 25th. I think that timing would be just would be just about right. How about Biden? Biden's the one. I know it's not going to happen, but Biden, after all, he's the one who who triggered. He's the one who told them, "Hey, go after Michael Flynn for the Logan Act." You know. So anyway, something's got to happen here. The clock is ticking, and Chuck Grassley. Hopefully, he has some influence with the DOJ. Today's White House press briefing was an absolute circus. I mean, it was just a circus. You had about half of the press briefing was reporters asking. Kaylee McEnany, the White House press secretary, about NASCAR. NASCAR, yeah, that's the, the, the car racing. I know as much about that as I know about golf. But um, the re- reporters just were like grilling her about Trump's controversial tweet about NASCAR ad nauseum. And they sound like a bunch of children. These reporters, they sound like a bunch of kindergartners. They, they're in such a bubble that they don't even... It's all about, well, what gotcha question can I ask about President Trump today? That's like their entire singular focus. So it doesn't even dawn on them to ever look in the mirror and say, how silly do I look asking her for the sixth time about President Trump's tweet about Confederate flags and this uh, Bubba guy, this Bubba racer, Bubba, what's his name, Wallace, the black NASCAR driver. And, and finally, McEnany literally said this to one reporter. She said, I've answered this already. I'm not going to answer this for the sixth time. And there, and it was no exaggeration. If you listen to it, it's scary. So I'll tell you some of the. I've been avoiding this. You know, this Bubba Wallace um, fiasco scandal really happened a few weeks ago, where he falsely reported that there was a racist incident that targeted him in one of these race car uh, places. And uh, it's just this whole story to me. It's just so silly and just so ridiculous. But I, I guess we have no choice. We have to discuss it. So what happened was this Bubba Wallace. He's a black. NASCAR driver, race car driver, and he claimed that there was a noose. He claimed that he was targeted by racists, this is right after the George Floyd killing, that there was a noose that was hanging in his garage that they gave him at one of these races. And, of course, the media went ballistic. They went haywire about uh, this noose that this this Bubba Wallace, this uh, race car driver, this black man, was uh, did this, this horrific, horrific thing was done to him. And they'd be right, except for one problem. It wasn't a noose. It was just a rope. It was just a plain rope. The, the FBI literally came down to investigate this racist incident and they said well actually this is a regular good old-fashioned rope what happens is in these garages apparently they have these ropes that are hanging from the ceiling and you they're i guess for drivers to pull themselves up or people repairing the cars or something it's used by people to pull themselves up uh on these ropes and it's it's not a noose at all and in fact it's been there since last october they gave him this garage a few weeks ago to use for the race it's not like he owns this garage and this thing has been 
hanging there since October, and he was forced he was forced to admit that his story was false. Was it intentional or not? I have no idea. But either way, it's it's outrageous. Yet yet another one of these hoax stories. So President Trump on Twitter today, why he's commenting on it now, I don't know. But he you know he was bored. I mean, why, why does President Trump ever put things out on Twitter? So he attacked um, Bubba Wallace. He said that this noose controversy was a hoax, and he asked if Wallace had issued an apology. Good for President Trump. All right, you'll tell me he shouldn't be bothering with these like mundane stories, the way I wasn't bothering with it until Trump got involved. Fair enough. The president also criticized NASCAR for banning Confederate flags. President Trump said that uh, NASCAR now has the lowest ratings they've ever had, and he said it's because of these two incidents, because of this hoax, this hoax by Bubba Wallace and because they banned Confederate flags. And the media, they, these reporters, does that mean Trump is in favor of, of Confederate flags? And McEnany said multiple times, no, he's not. He's j- he was just making a simple observation. The ratings have gone down. Why have the ratings gone down? Because people are upset. Well, does that mean he's saying that NASCAR drivers like the Confederate flag? Does that mean that the NASCAR drivers are all racist? And it's like, hello, the, the, the country is falling apart. It's being so These Democrat cities are being torn to shreds. Mostly, I'll, I, will, I will qualify my statement, mostly Democrat st- cities. Maybe a couple of cities that have Republican mayors are also coming apart at the seams. But it's the vast majority are Democrat-controlled uh, cities. Crime is surging. The coronavirus in many states is surging. The economy has been tanking for months. Millions of jobs lost. It is recovering now, but we're still talking about life and death, life and death issues. The country right now, they are on pins and needles wondering what is the future going to bring. People are nervous, and justifiably so. And they sit here, they watch this press briefing, and they want to hear what the president has to say to reassure them. What policies are being put into place to help the country get out of these crises? that are just rampant, and then these reporters waste the entire thing, waste most of this thing, 10 or 12 minutes, talking about nonsense. Forget how they look. You know, they look so silly. I mean, forgetting the poor country who's hinging on every word of these press briefings, but they just look like a bunch of children. All right, the Supreme Court ruled today that electors must vote for whichever candidate won the popular vote in that particular state. So an elector, right, because the Electoral College technically, I know nobody cares about these electors, it's a formality, and the Supreme Court today confirmed that, but technically these electors are real actual people who are supposed to represent the state. There'll be a number, right? Every state has a certain number of electors, so there's actually a real person. You never know this, right? Because what do we care? But there's a real person who's an elector who goes to the convention and votes for the candidate, and traditionally they've always voted for the candidate who got the popular vote in the state, but in 2016 there were some electors who wanted to vote for a different candidate. It was this like strat- some tactic they were using to try to basically sabotage President Trump and make him lose, So there was this chance that electors could theoretically sabotage the real winner of the presidential election by just going off the rails and deciding they were going to support some different candidate, not the one who won the popular vote in the state. Anyway, the Supreme Court has ruled that electors are just a formality and any candidate who wins the state, the electors um, must support that candidate from that state. So that's good news. The media and the Democrats, think about this, right? They're upset. They're, they're still talking about this, uh, this, this another just total, total bogus story about the Russian bounties. And the Democrats are upset that President Trump did not come down harder on the Russians. Again, he did not even know about this intel. But assuming that he did, why did he not respond? Why did he not punish the Russians? Let's even pretend for a moment that he knew about it, right? I just want to show you the hypocrisy of the, 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 the Democrats. Because the Democrats, that was their first attack on Trump when they thought he knew about this intel with the bounty, the Russian bounties, they said, well, why is he not 
retaliating against Russia. Well, think about this. Remember the last time there was intel about a threat to U.S. troops and President Trump retaliated? That would be Qasem Soleimani, who was going to attack the U.S. embassy in Iraq. And there was a major, major threat. They were planning a bunch of attacks against U.S. troops in Iraq. And what did Trump do? He responded. He assassinated Qasem Soleimani. And how did the Democrats and some Republicans, how did they respond to the attack on Soleimani? They not only blasted President Trump, they criticized him, they accused him of triggering a potential World War III, but that was not even the least of it. They passed a law saying that he could never attack again and never never carry out a strike like that again without permission from Congress. By the way, imagine Trump calling Congress, Congress leaking left and right. Imagine Trump calling Congress and saying, by the way, I want to attack Qasem Soleimani. I have uh, highly classified intel that he's planning an attack against U.S. troops. I mean, that would leak so quickly. I mean, he would have so much warning from the New York Times and from the mainstream media, from the Democrats in Congress. It would be a joke. It would be ridiculous. But it shows you the other other hypocrisy of the Democrats. He did exactly, he had intel about an imminent threat against U.S. troops. He responded by killing, doing the world a major favor, killing perhaps the most dangerous terrorist on earth. And what did he get in, in response? Not only did he get verbally blasted, not only was he accused of being a warmonger, but they literally passed a law in Congress that he needed to veto that said you can't attack a, t- a, a terrorist overseas, a foreign terrorist, without having permission from Congress. And that's exactly what happened here is there was intel uh, about these Russian bounties. And now the Democrats are saying, well, Trump should have done something about it. Really? Well, now you suddenly think Trump should have done something about it. That's funny. That's not what you thought last time. And that's not look at how you reacted last time. So it's total, total hypocrisy here. Anything that Trump, any which way Trump goes, anything that Trump does, they're going to come out in the other direction. We've seen this so many times. By the way, Interesting thing, Chuck Grassley, we read you that tweet earlier. He actually mentioned the deep state. You know, there's a lot of people here. You have a a member of the Senate, member of the Senate using the term deep state. There there are people out there who want to believe that the deep state, well, that's just conspiracy talk. That's just something that these right-wing fanatics talk about. But you're not going to hear mainstream people uh, talk about the deep state. It's just made up by President Trump and by the right-wing talk show hosts. And here you have a, a sitting senator. I understand that he's a staunch conservative, but you, you can't exactly call him a conspiracy theorist. All right, so that Republican, that newspaper in Kansas, the man who runs that newspaper, has issued an apology. This Republican Party chairman who owns the newspaper, the Anderson County Review, who put out that published that horrific, horrific cartoon equating the rule that people cannot wear masks, uh, cannot go out in public without masks, much must wear masks in public in Kansas, equating that to the mass murder of Jews, Rahman al-Islam, by the Nazis, Yimakshimam, during the Holocaust. So he has issued an apology. If you ask me, this apology is extremely weak and pitiful. I'm really outraged this apology did not go further than it went. It's almost like just he's like excusing it and just like clarifying. I'll read you the quote here. This Dane Hicks, the publisher of the Anderson County Review. But um, this to me is egregious. He said, he, he removed the cartoon after some heartfelt, quote, heartfelt and educational conversations with Jewish leaders in the U.S. and abroad. I can acknowledge the imagery in my recent editorial cartoon describing government overreach in Kansas with images of the Holocaust was deeply hurtful to members of a culture who have been dealt plenty of hurt throughout history, people to whom I never desire to be hurtful in the illustration of my point. And he said that... Um, it is not my intention to heap more grief onto this historical burden. It's apparent I previously lacked an adequate understanding of the severity of their experience and the pain of its images. I mean, this is p- 
pathetic. This is not even an apology. I haven't even seen him say the words, I'm sorry. I looked for the folk. I've seen, again, this is what I just quoted you. I believe that's the crux of it. I, I searched around a lot to see if there are any other words that I miss it, that were that I didn't see reported, such as, I'm sorry, or I apologize. And he didn't even do that, but it's more than that. To me, the real disgraceful part over here is he's acting as though, well, they've experienced a lot of pain, and I never desired, this is almost like an Elon Omar apology. I never desired to be hurtful to them in my illustration of my, I mean, hello, I, I diminished and disgraced people who suffered horrific tragedy. I was totally insensitive. It was it, it was disgusting. The comparison is disgraceful. And uh, he, he sh this should be so much stronger. He's acting as though, well, you know, you can understand that Jews would be offended by this, but I didn't realize that because I'm, I'm, I misunderstood how deep their pain was. It's just pitiful. Here, I'll read it to you again. He had heartfelt um, conversations with Jewish leaders, and I can acknowledge the imagery in my recent cartoon describing overreach in Kansas with images of the Holocaust was deeply hurtful to members of a culture who have been dealt plenty of hurt throughout history. So he's acknowledging that it was hurtful. Uh, yeah, I mean, we knew it was hurtful because everybody was outraged by this. And I never desired to be hurtful to them in the illustration of my point. And by the way, he doubled down. He defended this until the apology he actually was defending this, so that shows you he doesn't really mean this. He was just doing this because he was blasted by many, many people in his own party. Hicks initially defended the cartoon as an example of how political cartoons are gross over-caricatures designed to provoke debate and fodder for the marketplace of ideas. He said the issue was the governmental overreach, so essentially this is like classic you know, anti-Semite talk, and I'm not saying he's an anti-Semite. I don't know anything about him or his history or the context, so I'm not going there. But anti-Semites, this is what they say, is they'll, they'll use... The, some kind of Jewish issue to illustrate their point, and then they'll say, well, it's satire. It, it's fodder to the marketplace of ideas. That was his quote. It's a gross over-caricature. Yeah, I'm exaggerating the point. Yeah, I'm comparing it to the Nazis, Yamak Shemam, but uh, I'm just doing it to try to illustrate my point. I mean, that is how anti-Semites justify, you know, when, when they make these kinds of political satires uh, of against Jews. All right, Dr. Zelenko says in an interview, anybody who opposes hydroxychloroquine is guilty of mass murder. Mahmoud Abbas is disappointed and frustrated that the Arab world is not doing more to threaten Israel to threaten to retaliate and to try to support the Palestinians here and prevent annexation. It's just been the usual. You've heard a lot of people come out against the annexation, but it's these, like, token statements that they're making. It's almost like, you know, all right, we have to say something. We're officially so the UN and the Europeans and, and, the, and the Arab states. We have to come out against Israel because... They're going to do this annexation, and this is our job. We have to defend the Palestinians. Israel, you better not annex the settlements. Well, what, what if we do? Well, you better not, or, or else what? What are you going to do? No, no, you really, really better not annex parts of the West Bank. I, I, I mean, the world, they just don't, nobody really cares. Annexation, by the way, annexation is coinciding with the pandemic. So that actually also is helping Israel and hurting the Palestinians because the world mostly has a lot of really big, important things to worry about. So like they don't care about this. This is like not even on their radar. This is a very significant move politically. It's very symbolic. And it's going to give Israel a ton more strength and influence because, again, it's moving the goalpost. It's it's changing the starting the starting point of negotiations used to be uh, half of Jerusalem, East Jerusalem. And the embassy move took that off the table. So then it became, all right, well, but they have to have the settlements, the settlements, the West Bank. That has to be, as we said yesterday, ethnically cleansed of Jews. And now this is going to take that off the table. And the Palestinians don't look now 
but slow, so it's a symbolic move, but it doesn't change anything on the ground because the Israelis have had control over these areas for years. So it's really just politically putting like a final stamp on what's already been the reality on the ground for years and decades. And think about this, the Palestinians, we are watching them vanish. We are watching the Palestinians slowly become decimated. Look, we have to, history, you don't have a connect the dots. It's almost like, well, afterward, you see, oh, wow. That was, you know, when the Soviet Union crumbled, it's not like anybody saw the clock ticking. All right, the Soviet Union's going to crumble. They got weaker. They got less powerful. But then one day, you know, the Berlin Wall gets dismantled, and it's like, wow, Reagan really did that. And you don't see it coming necessarily. So think about this. The Palestinians, their economy is crumbling to bits. They don't have money from Iran. Trump uh, Trump has defunded the Palestinians. The UN has diminished their funding. They have no support from the Arabs anymore. They are losing what little land they have. They are losing now. So what? without money, without support from their neighbors, I mean, basically without Israel right now, the Palestinians wouldn't even be able to exist. How ironic is that? So they're nearly decimated. And it's all because of Trump and Netanyahu. So fascinating to really watch all this unfold. President Trump is going to hold a campaign rally this coming weekend in New Hampshire, another rally as Joe Biden sits there in his dungeon. And uh, the event's going to be held in an airplane hangar. And um, apparently some of the crowd is going to be inside the hangar. And then depending on the size of the crowd, it will overflow onto the tarmac, which is outside of the hangar. And I suspect the reason they're doing this, they're not choosing an arena. They're choosing an airplane hangar. Now, they're going to tell you it's safer. It's not as indoors. Hangar's indoors, but not really indoors. So they're going to tell you that they're doing it for health purposes, I imagine. But the real reason is because this way, if, if the crowd, if there's not a big turnout, it's not going to be embarrassing for President Trump. When you have an arena and there's seats and like half the stands are empty, that doesn't look very good, especially when you tell people that there were a million reservations. But uh, but when it's an airplane hangar and people are just standing there, so it's much harder to tell and it's probably not nearly as big. And then they can always, if it does get bigger, they have an overflow crowd. So that'll look good. The optics of that will look very good. I actually suspect that there is going to be a very large turnout for this one, but we'll have to wait and see. I'm sure the media is already trying some kind of scare tactic to prevent people from showing up. The WHO, the World Health Organization, has admitted that China did not warn them about the pandemic, about the coronavirus. This is a bombshell, by the way, because uh, until now, they have retracted. No, no, the media, of course, is not going to ever report this, but the WHO, um, the, the mainstream media, obviously, the WHO has been saying that China warned them about the coronavirus. Now they, they have actually admitted that China never warned them, hey, there's a pandemic going on. And they only made this admission because of Republicans. Yeah, Republicans in the House Foreign Affairs Committee, they released a report concluding that China never notified the WHO about the outbreak and Wuhan. So this is yet another proof, as though we needed it, that the WHO is a puppet of China. A caller has accused me of reporting fake news in the news section. What happened was, you know, Russia, we've, we've been talking in the news section about Russia um, ha- having this election of this vote the last few days. It's, it's over now, but they voted to basically give Vladimir Putin, basically reset the clock. It's a bunch of constitutional technicalities, but the, the bottom line of it is that Putin is going to have another extra 12 years, if he wants, to be Russian president. And uh, that starts in 2024. So it basically resets the clock in the year 2024 on Putin's 
uh, term limits. He has two term limits, which are 12 years, and that's going to start in 2024. And uh, the, the, this is all rigged. I mean, the whole election in Russia, as we know, Putin, he threatens, not only threatens, he actually murders occasionally his um, political opponents, at least the ones that we know about are occasionally, maybe even more often than that. And he has basically the opposition against Putin in Russia is terrified to do anything against him. And uh, the Russian people, for the most part, they're afraid to vote against Putin because they don't believe, even though it's technically anonymous, they don't believe that it's anonymous. They believe they're being tracked and Putin wants it that way. And uh, I, 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 it may and it may actually be the reality. But uh, anyway, and so in my news section, uh, you know, we mentioned, according to the caller, we said that Russia pressured people to come and vote. Um, so the caller says that it was fake news because they didn't tell people who to vote for. He says he did his research, and I want to thank the caller for reaching out. And uh, the um, Vladimir Putin, they actually paid Russians to come and vote, but they didn't tell them what to vote for. Now, a few points, and, and he says, well, I said that they pressured people to vote for Putin. So number one, I, I, you'd have to go back and check, but I don't believe that I ever reported. I believe my report said the opposition accused Putin. I try to be very careful with those kinds of details. And I believe in the report, it says the opposition accused Putin of pressuring people to vote for Putin. So I don't believe that in the report it actually said that that was a fact, because how would we know that? But it said that, uh, I guess it's possible, but usually in the news section we try to be relatively objective. Look, I try hard. I can never guarantee it. I don't think any any media person is truly objective. But um, we do try. Anyway, so that was the report, was that the opposition accused Putin of those kinds of tactics. So I believe you can go and try to check that out, go back there. The other thing is that, um, and by the way, you know, the report was based on a mainstream media report. That's usually where we get our reporting in the news section. The other part of this is that, you know, they know for the, the most, they had a lot of polls. They knew that most Russians supported Putin. Now, I believe that's out of fear, but most Russians, according to the polls, did support Putin. So if you're pressuring people to vote, you generally know who they're going to vote for. And you can say to me, listen, you're trying to get a big voter turnout. There's nothing illegitimate about that. Fair. That's fair. There were many, many. Putin, it is known. It's been reported and we don't have time to get into it right now. So again, I'm not saying that the fact that they're paying people to go and vote, I'm not suggesting. Yeah, you could argue that also. If they're getting paid by Putin, then they're going to vote for Putin's party, right? Or Putin's amendments. But uh, the bigger picture here is that there are many, many tactics. Everybody knows that the election in Russia, they try to put on optics as though it's legitimate and a fair vote, but um, that that's just simply not the reality. And uh, as I said, you know, poisoning political opponents, putting them in jail, KGB investigations or whatever the KGB is called these days, it's the same same tactics that the KGB used, you know, back in Soviet Russia. So it, it is very, very rigged. I believe if you do your research, you're going to find that out, but we don't have time for that today. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.